There we go. There we're connected. Hello, we'll Paul. get some music. Yep, and he will get this started here. Hold on a second. Hi, Brent. There we go. There we go with our lead-off music from uh, old Alvin Lee and the 10 Years After Band many years ago, decades ago, actually, and it's the Friday edition of our little get-together called the Radio Ranch. Roger Sales, your host, moderator, sometimes technical guy, and whatever else we do around here, and it's the date stamp of 10-8-21, October the 8th. Now, we've got uh, our special guest, Paul English, with us today. We've been messing with some stuff here before the show, and he's hung around long enough. And Brent's with us, of course, on our usual Friday get-together with Mr. Brent Winters, who we're always happy to have because he comes in and takes all of this political and things that we're talking about all week in connection and grounds them down to a spiritual connection, which everybody uh, needs to be aware of and is always welcome. Brent, welcome again. And Paul, welcome to you, my friend. Nice to have you along for the ride today. <laughs> you sly dog. <laughs> I'm only turning up to give you some technical well, stuff. I know. This well, is Brent's patch. Now you've roped me in. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're always happy to have you, home, no matter how long it's for. And it's, we haven't even had a chance to speak in a while. So that's always refreshing. We love your accent. Everybody loves you. And we all appreciate what you've done for us here with this. Because uh, Paul made a lot of sacrifices to make this whole thing possible right here. Okay. Not demonic ones, I hasten no, to no, add. No, but I mean, you know, reading manuals and going out and searching up software that fits together and how it all connects and how it works together and all that, and that doesn't come easy, and not everybody can do it. So, uh, again, we tip our hat to Paul for the ability to be able to do this without loading you guys up with commercials, uh, you know, 10, 12 minutes an hour. So we have to pay bills and pay people and do all that, and we can do this on a shoestring and still be somewhat effective most of the time. So a uh, hat to to mr paul glad to have you along as always my friend it's been way too long so uh ben brent's with us of course and uh we can get started however y'all want to start paul you got anything to tell the audience we got a lot of new listeners that don't know who you are first of all and i was introducing you to a few of the folks that were on the board early just so that you had that introduction and uh but some of the other folks might not know who you are and what your contributions are and paul is the guy that really put euro folk on and then he heard me because we used to simulcast on Eurofolk when I was over on a couple of the uh, previous ex-wives. And so when the ex-wife deal, when she became a real ex-wife, the last one, uh, I was contemplating on where to take the Roger Sales Travel and Road Show. And Paul got a hold of me and said, would you like to do your own thing and not be affiliated with all those other folks? And I said, absolutely. And here we are, uh, what, four years later almost? I guess it's actually it was about this time four years ago that we uh, kicked this thing off if i remember correctly all that information about the wives is new to me <laughs> well that's what i you call know, you know every day well i mean it's like i call uh, you know our rbn and the uh, uh, the truth frequency radio and the micro effect i refer to them as ex-wives so that's oh, what i that see comes from. Oh, I was getting completely lost there, wasn't I? I didn't know what was <laughs> <laughs> You had me there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, there's been. I mean, seven years ago since we started Eurofolk, but but these things all they have sort of their little moments, don't they? Their balls of energy and and so on and so forth. So, as you well know, holding people together around a topic for a long period of time is quite a thing, and um, it, it just is. It's quite a thing, really, particularly under. Um, the bizarre circumstances that we found ourselves over the last 18 months or so. Um, you know, I've, I've, I mean, I'm trying to not keep up with it intentionally. Um, uh, when this thing started, um, I just made a few observations that basically it was about the financial system, and I'm maintaining that all the way through because that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, as they restructure this thing for this technocratic control grid, all the other stuff that comes with it is complete drama. It's impossible to verify whether it's true or not. This is my stance anyway. And, um, and you should never wear a mask, ever. And that's the key thing. I just keep going back to masks. And, and if people don't wear the masks, in my view, all this other manure that they communicate can't be communicated because they never got you subservient courtesy of the mask in the first place they can't introduce all this other stuff and so it's a bit like in a discussion or when you're reading something and you misunderstand a word but you plow on regardless it's a massive mistake mm -hmm. because from that point forward you're in a whole field of stupidity and that's really where we've and we just need to go back and go, no masks don't work social distancing doesn't work what else have you got not much and yet they want to talk about all these complicated things and and run the old you know conditioning programming which is really what this is all about yep. it's been unfortunately rather effective um not on people necessarily like us but but huge numbers of people have fallen for it hook line and sinker oh, which boy, is unfortunate it is unfortunate I, we were talking uh, right before the went on the air that i heard a doctor i don't know if any of you listened to rinse last night but on the first hour he had this doctor on, and I'm not sure what nationality is. He was talking about common law grand juries and all this stuff, and I wanted to see if I could get to him and say, well, you can't have one with a bunch of serfs, first of all, but it's a great idea, and you're right. It is one of the only remedies we've got here. But the guy went over. Uh, he's got his own country set up. I forget. In Switzerland, I think. Uh, so he's got his own sovereign little country somewhere out of Bern, I believe he said, and uh, went into a lot of that. He's done a lot of things. He's a pretty interesting fellow. But what the point he was making that I wanted to bring out that we talked about earlier was this learned helplessness point. And he was giving an example of an experiment they did. This is more like Pavlovian conditioning stuff, um, where they took a box with white and black lines on the floor that they could electrify and so they'd at first electrify, say, the black lines. And so the cat would learn to walk on the white lines and not get the shock. And then they'd switch it and they'd electrify the white lines. And the cat would go switch over and walk on the black lines. And then they electrified both of them. And the cat would jump up in the air, you know, as cats have a prone to do. And then eventually, after he did that for a while, he just went over in the corner and laid down and let him shock the hell out of him with both lines. And that's the learned helplessness. And he drew the conclusion that that's what they're using as a technique and doing to the populace. And I tend to agree with him and i think paul did too uh so that's kind of what's going on and if you recognize and know what they're doing it's easier to avoid it and not get caught in the trap but you can certainly see a lot of people that are being affected by it yeah as i experienced in the lax last week we were the only two not wearing masks do they give you any grief doug no just a lot of hard dog stares yeah Nobody said anything to you, though, right? Nothing. Wow, that's interesting. 
I do the same thing here. You know, I go out and ride the bus and stuff, and I'll be the only one uh, that doesn't have a mask on. But nobody generally says anything. They used to a couple of months ago, and I'd say, I have problems with my lungs and a health problem with my lungs. I can't wear it. And they'd go, oh, okay. You know, it's just a friend of mine used to say, a guy that used to be a friend of mine, say, like cops that stop you. They're looking for a story that they can buy. If you can give them a story they can buy, they'll go on about their way generally. And I think I've found that to be true. So, anyway, I know Brent has never worn a mask, and he was saying last week, I think, that you've been asked to leave a couple of places, but you've still never worn one. Is that right, Brent? Do I remember you saying that? Well, well that's right. No, I haven't worn one yet. I've had some green bulbrick and uh, been thrown out of a couple of gas stations. Uh, but here's an observation. I make this. I make observations. I don't always know the answers, but I want to throw the observation out, and I want to know if folk got to think about it, or got to say about it. Um, I have never been hassled on all my travels. I've been to probably 20 states minimum in the last uh, year and a half, when all or o- over a year and a half, when all this madness started, and uh, I've never had a man hassle me. It's always been a woman. Always. Yes, it's female. A lot of the times, and, it's uh, the females, Brent. I agree totally. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a difference in uh, there's a difference in a man and a woman, and uh, I'll let you, uh, whoever you are listening, you can come to your own conclusions about it. But that's my testimony of fact, without drawing a conclusion. I, I'll go there through is a difference. And, I'll, I'll go through uh, the entire. It depends on who's going to follow who. I was going to say, I go into a grocery store and I'll have the uh, mask babe pulled down underneath my nose, you know, so I've still got it around my chin and mouth Uh, and nobody says a word and the whole time you're in the grocery store until you get to the checkout girl and she says, pull up your mascarilla. You're right. I've noticed it, too, since we've mentioned it on the show before, too. But it's almost always the females in those kind of capacities that come in. Oh, pull up your mascarilla. Yeah, well, it's a uh, no. You're right. I've had the same experience, and it comes down to, and this is a good example of a matter of principle. Why do what? What hill are you willing to die on? And all of us at this point in the history of our English-speaking world, we must pick. We must, if we're going to survive, we must pick the hill we believe is worth holding. And the Bible tells us not to budge. The Bible doesn't tell us to attack. It tells us not to budge, to stand fast. Do not follow the stupidity of the evil empire. The evil empire doesn't care what they tell you to do. They'll tell you to put a mask on today, and as soon as everybody's got their mask on, then they'll say, now everybody's got to take it off. And uh, then you got to do that. Because the evil empire, the useful idiots of it, when I see people in masks wearing masks, I realize that they're brain dead. They're blind. Oh, I shouldn't say they're brain dead. They're logic. Their eyes are blind and their ears are plugged. Their eyes are blind and they cannot perceive the truth, or they wouldn't be doing that. Talked to a fellow the other day that took the jab, but he said, what the heck? You know, they're going to say this or that. I'll go ahead and do it. I don't care. That attitude? No, you're blind. You're not seeing you did think logically about your particular situation. Well, I got to do this. I got to get on an airplane. I'm going to be speaking next week. Uh, next week, 
no, no, here, no, tomorrow, sneaking up on me. I better think of something to say, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be speaking tomorrow in a place as a fellow from South Africa got invited to speak. And his name is Peter Hammond. And you you said you thought he was on this network with somebody, and I didn't know that. Oh, he is. Of a fellow. I'm not his close friend. He is. All right. I've met him a few times. He's a He's from South Africa, and he got invited to come up to North Idaho and Bonners Ferry and speak just south of the Canadian border. And uh, he went to get on an airplane or got ready to to get on an airplane. They told him he had to have the jab. And of course, he didn't want to do that, so he called up to Bonners Ferry, Warren Campbell's the pastor up there, and he said, I can't come, so they want me to get the jab. So Warren said, now what am I going to do? See, I'd already made arrangements to go up there because I wanted to listen to Peter, see? So I, my, me and my, some of my family, and we're going to ship off up there and go see him. And he called me said, Brent, you're coming to see uh, Peter, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, he said, Peter can't make it. Would you say a few words? I said, yeah, I'll do that. But I said, under one condition. He said, what's that? That you don't tell anybody that Peter's not coming. Because the people that are coming are coming to hear Peter. They're not coming to hear me. <laughs> I don't want to talk to the cubic foot air in front of my face for an hour. So he laughed. I suppose they know he's not coming. But it's not bad always being the second choice or the third or the fourth. And I'm happy to be going up there. But this whole mask thing, see, this whole, it's a face put on their heads. And... Um, it's a matter of principle. Does it hurt you? Oh, it does impede your breathing. It's the ability to make money. I, in restaurants, they tell me clearly. I asked them, does that impede your ability to get tips? Oh, yeah, our tips have dropped. Why? Well, there's no, no close interaction. The face of a woman and the face of a man makes a big difference. How do you have, how can you even have adherence to the confrontation clause of our Constitution unless you can see the other fellow's face, unless the jury, the expressions of the judge, the, the expressions of the prosecutor, the expressions of the witness, the expressions of the defense lawyer. It's, um, it, it, it's impeded our ability to exercise interpersonal relationships. People aren't going elderly mothers uh, in the nursing home, etc. Now, I'm assuming, as I say this, I'm assuming that over on the other side of the pond, uh, where Paul is, it's the same situation. And because he is on today, I, I wanted to ask some questions, Roger. To ask. Over there. One of the things I wanted to ask was, I'd heard the other day that... Uh, they're announcing they're going to shut the banks down in England. Is there any truth to that? Can anybody tell me, Paul? Are you there? I'm here. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. Um, sounds fun to me. Um, the I haven't heard that one yet. They're going to shut everything uh, down, according uh, to the news. I mean, every 24 hours, something's going to be oh. shut down. There's no petrol. There's no this. There's no that. Your legs are going to fall off. Watch out. A rock's coming out of the sky. I mean, it's just nonstop. It's gibberish. The whole thing is just pathetic and um so that goes on but just coming back to your point about masks um, because 
Um, it's interesting what you say about being confronted by women. I, was, I, was, I thought, I can see that. I've only been confronted by one man, and that was right at the beginning, last year. And it wasn't much of a, com- a confront. And uh, I, I dealt with it very quickly by just telling them that they, these things were utterly useless. But about four weeks ago, I confronted a man with a mask on. <laughs> How about that? I thought, oh, I haven't done that yet. Let's yeah. have a go. So I... There's a guy, a kindly guy, be in his early 60s, reasonably fit and strong. He's got a mask on. He stood in front of me in the queue, about to buy some butter and milk or whatever it is. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, "Why? can you tell me, why do you wear that mask? And he said, oh, it's to keep safe. I said, do you think it keeps you safe? He said, yeah, I think it keeps me safe. I said, but, but I said, don't you think it's a bit like, you know, putting up a chain link fence to keep mosquitoes out i said can you can you breathe through it and he said oh yeah i can breathe through it i said well then it's completely useless isn't it <laughs> right and that's all i say on the mask is like can you breathe through that mask they go oh yeah i go well then it's useless it's absolutely and and now we're laughing because we apply logic we go yeah <laughs> one plus one equals two these people are not in that condition they're not in that condition. That part of your mental process is for a lot of people just, it's now even switched on. They're just going, oh, oh, <laughs> that's it. That's the sound they're making. Oh, no, oh, that's basically it, you know. And, it, and I said, uh, I said, it's a bit more than this. It, it just developed the conversation. He said, well, no, no. He said, that they, they, they want to protect us. I said, I, I don't think they do. He said, well, why would they want to have us all harmed? I said, and this was interesting. I said, because they've lost control of the banking system. And he went, that went right in. <laughs> it was like a bingo moment. He went, oh, yeah. Oh, I could see that. I said, you're going to see a lot more of it. I said, because that's all this is about. I said, this is a big cover. I said, they don't care how many people they kill with this, but this is a cover for something much more serious, which is the loss of all your independent decision-making in your life. I said, so, you know, there's all sorts of reasons to not wear a mask, I said, but you, you, if you want to wear that, that's fine. I wasn't aggressive with him. There's no point. I'm not like that. You must take that mask off. I've thought, I've thought of taking that approach to see how long I would last before I got lumped, you know. But uh, it's quite interesting. It's very interesting. And the other thing about masks, of course, is not that I'm going to go on a oh, great deal about this. Sorry. Should I speak? Yeah, go ahead and go on about it. for the dictionary, and a while ago... Yeah. Brent, I, Roger, yeah, can yeah. you hear Brent or not? I can hear you. Go ahead. And y'all are, there's a little delay there and you're stepping oh, on each other. Well, so go ahead, ask. Brent, and then we'll go back to Paul. Okay. I, well, I was going to ask Paul another question because the battle here is for the dictionary. And the battle. Dictionary. Of course, we haven't had dictionaries. That long, I think Sam Johnson wrote the first English dictionary, if I remember right. And we've had a couple over here, but we're fighting over words. And I heard Paul say, I thought I heard Paul say that something about the Q. Did I hear you say that, Paul? That's right. Yeah. Okay, so that for me, that would bear just a little explanation, although I think I know what you're talking about. Um, but. Can you unpack that a little bit? You said that you were in the queue. That's right. So in England, <laughs> we are noted for queuing, which is where you stand in an orderly line and wait your turn, right? It's 
It's called a Q over here. Q-U-E-U-E. That's how you spell it. A bit of a word, isn't it? Q. So you get in the queue, and uh, people people just orderly line up, and they've all got their masks on, and they've all been standing two meters apart on some occasions. I'm I'm the only one whose shoulders are rocking up and down with laughter, and they, <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous, and uh, <laughs> it's completely barking mad. But yeah, that's what a queue is, Brent. So we we mustn't stumble over the words. You're absolutely right, by the way, about the dictionary stuff. I, I totally agree with you. I, people are using lots of words very rapidly, and they don't understand the meaning of hardly any of them. And so it's not possible to come to any sort of sensible conclusion with these things. Very difficult. Well, people talk about um, with all the sexual stuff. It all goes together. The evil empire just wants to wants us all to agree. Now, we went last Sunday... Roger, I think, was there oh, two Sundays ago. We go through Genesis chapter 11, and it's my study conclusion that Genesis 11 is not about several different tongues. It's about uh, political correctness. As a matter of fact, the word that's translated, that the translators use to translate their speech, and they say, well, they all spoke different languages, and God smote them, and now they can't get can't communicate anymore. But the word for speech is translated in other places in the Old Testament um, pretty consistently and, and means pretty consistently um, um, politically correct. In other words, uh, you got to talk the line. You've got the lip service. Lip service is the better translation of that word. Lip service means you're saying one thing, of course, while you're thinking quite another. Well, what they wanted there at Babylon, when they were building that city and that big ziggurat, was to draw people together so they wouldn't scatter out, and they all had to say the same thing. They all had to say the same thing. I had a teacher in school. He was a, his family, well, we call them Scots-Canadian. They were from Scotland, but they had migrated to Canada, and then his father ran off with his mother, uh, missionaries in Africa, and they wanted to go someplace where no white man had ever been. They finally bike. I think that he said they rode an old bicycle, a couple of old bicycles, a couple of hundred miles down a dirt path to get to this village. And then they spent the rest of their lives there trying to figure out their language and then translate their language, uh, the Bible into their language using the King James as a prototype because that's what they didn't know Greek and Hebrew and all. Well, he then he ended up uh, becoming a linguist. And he's 80-some years old now, or just over 80, I think. His name is McDougal. Nice fella. Married a girl from Oklahoma. And uh, he told me once, he said, uh, you know, if you really want to know what's going on in the ancient world, he said, don't go to the cities and read the historians, that Tennyson and Seneca and all the Roman historians and uh, that write. And, uh, and then uh, go to the cities and read the inscriptions on the altars and all the artifacts you dig up out of the ground. He said, that won't tell you what's really going on. Because those folk in the cities are politically correct. They they toe the line. They say what the powers that be want them to say. The historians that write the treatises are writing them to gain political favor, just like people say, I dedicate this to the Pope of Rome or the king of so-and-so. And of course, they're just saying what they want them to say. By and large, even when they tell the truth, they're telling it for the wrong reasons. But he said, if you want to really want to know what's going on in the ancient world, you go out in the middle of nowhere and you start digging around uh, and try to find artifacts from the folk that live out away from the cities. 
you'll find out what people are really thinking because people out there aren't strapped in that way. I had a fellow, met a fellow, had a fellow, met a fellow, met him. Uh, he, and I had him. That means he told me something. He was from Russia, and uh, he had migrated here. This is back in the 80s and when, pe- when people were under the communist regime there, the Marxist regime. And he said, things aren't so bad in Russia as long as you don't live, live close to Moscow or Peters, St. Petersburg, Leningrad some of those other big cities he said people pretty much left us alone but the closer you get to the population centers the worse you've got to say the right things now that's what they're trying to get us to do here that's what happened at babylon that's been the that's been the of the of the evil empire ever since you all got to say the same things because they know if they can get us to say the same things Every day, the hospitals are full, the funeral homes are overloaded. If they can get us to say all those lies, then they can also get us to do things together, like yep. put on a mask. Yep. And if they can get us to do things together and say things together, eventually, we will begin to think together, and they will control us. And they are controlling us, and that's the way they've always controlled humanity. That's yep. My yep. conclusion for what it's worth. Yep. No, I think that's Back real accurate, Brent. No, I think that's very side. accurate. And, and what you're talking about is all they have to get you to live the lie. And that's why they're so absolutely adversarial to truth. And the truth absolutely decimates them. And that's why it destroys their lie and it destroys that scenario you just went over. Well, good morning. Think, Our, well, there's there's yes. Captain Daryl. Hey, Daryl. The same thing. Go ahead. Well, I just want to. Oh, I, I just. Oh, sorry, Daryl. I just. Oh, I just. I, I couldn't pass this up. We got Brent, Paul, yes. Roger, and everybody else on here. I just couldn't pass this up. So, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, good morning to everybody or evening. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to say that uh, I, from, from the very beginning of this and, and before it, I've, I'm haven't consented or volunteered or or haven't allowed them to coerce me um i'm uh most of everybody that's hangs out here knows i'm rather of i'm not for resistance i'm about defiance uh well last week uh i put a mask on first time willingly did it complied was obedient and I'll tell you why I did it my uh, my mother's not long for this world and I want to see her so I put it on and I went in the room and my niece works there, where she's at, and uh, she came in, and we uh, we closed the door, and we took our masks off, and we partied. <laughs> and uh, so I, I had to get past the gatekeeper. I had to wash my hands with some nasty stuff. It was a woman, by the way, made me do it, asked me to do it. Uh, and... This is the only thing I can possibly think of that they could use on me to leverage me 
to recognize anything they say or do was to see my mom before she leaves. Once she's gone, and soon, they have lost all leverage over me. Okay? Um, so we all have a, a soft spot. Uh, that was mine. Errol? Go ahead, Gary. Errol, you're not alone. I had to do the same thing to see my dad when we didn't know if he was going to live or die. I had to put a mask on, not only a mask, I had to put a mask, a gown, a face shield, and rubber gloves to go in the damn hospital room to know if my dad was going to live or die. So, you're not the only one, my friend. And that's the only time I've wore a mask since this whole crap started. So I well, just wanted we'll have to start you to a club. Not, I just wanted you to know yeah. you're not alone. <laughs> we'll have to start a club and call it the, the one timers. Just one time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway. Anyway, thanks. go ahead. Guys. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. The earliest, yeah. the earliest is your Yeah. Is your mother uh, where you are or is she up north? No, she's in Iowa. <clears throat> I was uh, I was uh, traveling around in my uh, my uh, super sofa. That's what I call my Mercury Grand Marquis, the super sofa. And uh, yeah, so uh, I spent a week up there and uh, did business and saw people and saw her. And uh, so yeah, she's about eight hundred miles away. Yeah, so. Well, thanks for asking. But uh, how old is your mother? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, how old? Yeah, she's 88. 80, 88. Uh, and uh, you know, she doesn't have she doesn't have control over anything anymore in her, you know, with her autonomy in her body and stuff. So, and uh, but uh, so she she doesn't she doesn't need to see what's coming. May I? Yep. This reminds me of a did movie. She rec- did she recognize you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She her her mind's all there. There's nothing wrong with her mind. It's it's better. Her, her mind's better than almost everybody else I meet. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, uh, uh-huh. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is. I, I think it's really important for everybody to realize um, your mortality here. It's not an abstract concept. You will yeah. die. You will die. And uh, I would just uh, say to everybody here, do it well. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. If I may may quote my father, if I may quote my father, we were together. Dad's 95, and I know he's not going to live forever, ever to state the obvious, but 
his mind works good. His body's having trouble, but we were at a get together not too long ago, and he he has got to the point now he'll say, uh, "Oh, Brent, will you pray?" He used to always pray, and when we leave each other, and uh, I I'll say a prayer, something appropriate. And uh, but this last time he chimed in and he said, "And I'll see if I can get it right." And this follows up on what you said, Daryl. He said, "Hear me well, dear Christian friend. A godless life brings a godless end. So keep the faith and in pursuit, for in God's grace." And then I don't remember the last phrase, but. That gets the idea. I got to get back with him. He, I don't know whether he wrote that or whether he heard it, but I want to make sure and get it down. Yeah, that's nice. That's very nice. <laughs> Whatever it was, Rod, you were trying to say something a yeah. second ago. Uh, are you still uh, there? Yes, I am. I uh, just wanted to say that this all reminds me of a line from a movie called The Green Mile. Oh yeah. The black fellow that was accused of killing two little white girls right. told everybody they're killing them with love all over the world. That was a, that was a heck of a movie right there. Yeah. But that's that's how see love is an emotion and it can it can be a good emotion and it can be a bad emotion and they use it in the bad emotion way to blackmail people to do things to fit their agenda and they attack they attack our loved ones and so that line just stuck with me when he said that it was just an amazing line in a movie it's an amazing thank movie. you amazing sorry movie. to hear that uh, daryl yeah but hang in there buddy well, yeah, thanks. at Take least it. you got to see yours. I don't know that I'll get to see mine if they continue this. So uh, you can't fly without a, a jab and all the things that they're accelerating. Uh, so that's something I've had to deal with mentally. But fortunately, mine's in my mom is in pretty darn good shape in both uh, body and mind, with the exception of her eyesight. So. Anyway, uh, it's a heck of a time for all of us, you know, and that's one of the things that makes these shows and this meeting spot and the fact that we're all connected through this wonderful basic understanding of truth and, and, and lies and uh, it puts us on a, a same plane. Uh, and even though we might be half a world apart, like Paul, uh, we're connected mentally on this same wavelength, and it's a wonderful feeling. It's one of the real uh, intangible advantages of what we do here on a regular basis, honestly. Uh, you meet friends here that uh, you are really, truly friends because you really connect. And I'm kind of envious because a bunch of you are going to be able to hug and shake hands and break bread together and spend some time together here pretty quick in Gadsden, thanks to Jimmy and uh, and Daryl and uh, the Rowdy Rebel Jamboree that's coming up pretty quick. And uh, I, I trust you guys are going to feast on that moment together here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, we're uh, we're all looking forward to it, and uh, plans are coming together. Although I can't get Jimmy on the phone this morning, I don't know. I have to drive over there. I think uh, 
I think, I think, uh, I think Tommy Shram's Tommy Shram's going to be here today too. We're going to oh, hang out a little okay, bit. Okay, so well, that's good. Well, be sure and extend yeah. our regards. We haven't heard from Thomas in quite a while. Yeah, uh, he's he's fishing, gone fishing, brother. Yeah, well, that's no, been no big surprise there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Tom. Well, Shram, listen, I, I want to. Tom Shram hadn't been around for a lot of the new folks. He's an old friend of mine. We went through a lot of this legal research together, and he's a real piece of work. Okay, but he is as avid a fisherman as I've ever known in my life, and I come from a pretty big fishing family. But when Tom pulls up to a body of water, I have always felt that every fish in there goes, oh, Tom's here. I want to go get in his basket because <laughs> that man can pull a fish out of water like somebody fishing for tuna, like you see in those pictures where they're just throwing them in the boat, you know. Amazing guy. Mm-hmm. So give him our best and our regards, and I hope he's doing well. I, I will. Uh, I I'll get off here, so I I, I want to hear I want to hear uh, Paul and Brent. <laughs> I haven't heard you in a long time, Paul. We miss you. Well, I've I've just been been busy, Daryl. Uh, I've just noted what you I said. Know. It's um, challenging times. That um, I'm I don't know whether this is good or bad. I mean, my parents have both gone. They my father went 2015. Fine, you know, is that I was there for that. But my mum, I wasn't there for. So I know what that's like. I couldn't be there for because my wife was ill at the same time. I had the whole, yeah. <laughs> everything was collapsing all at the same time. And um, so that was quite a trial, actually. So I know what it's like. And uh, uh, I don't know what to say, really, because everybody just goes through it in their own way. And uh, that's what right. everybody does. And, and billions of people have done it before us. And we're going to be doing it, too. So you're absolutely right. Right. Um, I th- the key I, thing is, uh, I keep thinking, it's what I want to do between now and then. I think is to try and do one's best, whatever you might think that is. But I, I do think that that's the case because it makes each day, you know, particularly under current circumstances, that much more bearable. And, uh, you know, have to put meaning back into things. So. You know, this is where it comes back to a lot of AA philosophy that was drilled into my Uh-oh. head because of my family situation when I was younger. And this one day at a time, you know, it's like you don't have yesterday, it's gone. And you don't have tomorrow. It's not here yet. And the only day you got to work with is today. And you try to do the best you can with it. Well, you've done quite well. You roped me in here today. It's outrageous. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be up at the shop shouting at someone. But no, I'm, I'm here with you guys. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, Brent, when you were talking about Babylon Whoa. and things like that about ten minutes ago, um, a very interesting. It's so interesting you bring that up because I was only reading about Babylon yesterday <laughs> about that, and uh, your comments really augmented some of the things I was going through and thinking about on that because one of the points that was made in, in what I was going through um, was was the arrogance of the people in building the tower. Sorry, at Babel, the Tower of Babel. Um, this thing about the languages and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, there was a point made, which I'd never thought of before, which was the whole idea of building the tower was to call God down on their terms. Um, And I thought that is a really interesting point. Absolutely. That there's an arrogance in that. Hey, we're going to build this thing and make a name for ourselves. I think that's what it says so that we are known, you know, this is us lot. We did this and therefore we're calling God down. He can come to our party when we decide 
And uh, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work like that at all. And that mentality, of course, is still with us. Also, there's a quote I want to read to you. There's a quote here from, this is sort of taps into some of the comments that have been made over the last 15 minutes about, um, well, just about helping us. This is from C.S. Lewis, and uh, it's taken from a book he wrote called God in the Dock, Essays on Theology, the Making of Modern Theology. And he, he wrote this, he says, and it's so appropriate for our times, believe you me. He said this, he says, um, of, of all tyrannies... A tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will, and cured of states, which we may not regard as disease, is to be put on the level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason, or those who never will to be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. And in simple terms, I, I put that as well down to a little phrase called the tyranny of the slave. These people, these moral busybodies and do-gooders, wreak more damage and harm than, than they can possibly know. In fact, they can't know it. Because as he said, you know, they do it with the, with the approval of their own conscience. This makes them impossible to communicate with. Because they're helping us, remember? take the jab it's going to help you right mm. profound yes well um yes and uh, chesterton he i believe he was an aussie i believe he was the curator of a museum down in australia i believe he was a, he wrote essays he liked to write essays and he said that that um, the the greatest enemy of liberty is the freeman the freeman and what the freeman always ends up doing when he weakens and slackens then he um, takes on the government as an accomplice to enslave him he takes on the government as his accomplice and he goes on to say chesterton said that the government the state more the accomplice to tyranny never really the initiator of it the state is always the accomplice of tyranny never really the initiator of it which of course brings it right back to me and you and and uh ours and us and uh, we have met the enemy and he is us and we're the problem and we're getting the government and the oppression that we ask for that's what's happened you know the bible very clearly very clearly predicts the future and it does it by way of the law all of the prophecies of future things of the bible are by way of god's law god's law is his prediction of the future and the prophets of the older testament and the book of revelation for instance an apocalyptic piece of literature that's a prophecy about what's going to happen all those fellows read the law 
And then they read, like John the Apostle, he read the prophets, which the prophets had read Moses, and the prophets looked at Moses and said, well, the law says if we do this, we get this, and if we do that, we get that. Well, we're doing that, and I'm telling you, God ain't lying. When the law says do this and you live, do this and you die, that's sure as, sure as sunshine. It's going to happen even surer, says the prophet, than sunshine. <laughs> I mean, Habakkuk says all of nature can go haywire, and the sun not come up in the morning, and the cows not calve in the spring, and the harvest time not come, but yet the word of God his expression of his will is sure, even more sure than nature, which is an important point when we talk about the laws of nature and the laws of nature is God. The laws of nature uh, are God's law, expression of his, his person, his law, his will. But uh, even then, that will cease. And there's only one thing that's going to last forever. No, no, two, two, two things, T-H-I-N-G-S, that's going to last forever in the midst of us talking about uh, this thing we call death. Uh, nonetheless, the two things that will last forever are uh, sons and daughters of Adam, and number two, the Word of God. And the Bible is unambiguous on those two points. Everything else will be burned up. Everything. And it will come back. He will. God will reshape it, and he'll bring it back as a new set of skies and a new set of land. And the people, the sons of, um, and daughters of Adam, they will, uh, they have never uh, gone out of existence, but they are separated from us. For instance, the, the God, God said to our grandpa and grandma Adam, in the day you sin, in the day you break my will, in the day you go against my will, my law, dying, you are dead. You know, the old King James says, you shall surely die. Well, that's good. That's right. But the Hebrew text is an infinitive and a and a, a verb of, of what's going to have a future. Not a future, but a, an imperfect, which we translate as a future. But it's two verbs to stress. goes over and over again. The infinitive, dying, you're dead. Did our grandfather? Paul Adam die when he ate of the fruit? And the answer is yes. But you say he lived 930 years, the Bible says. Yeah, but on that day, muth, the Hebrew word translated death, muth, happened. He was separated. Muth means to separate, and death means to separate. We still say that in our English idiom. We talk about the dearly departed. He's no longer with us. Well, what does that mean? That means he's not, that doesn't mean he's out of existence. That means. Daryl's mother is leaving, um, and uh, we can join her later. But right now, she's leaving. That's the way the Bible presents death without question. We go away, and that's what Muth means. And, in the, and it means, first of all, though, separation. Uh, our grandpa and everything that came out of his body, including us, is now separated. We are separated as extensions of him uh, are we are separated from our maker because of what our grandpa did. That's what the Bible says. And again, unambiguously. And then there must, if there's a remedy for that, we want it, hopefully. And there is a remedy for that. And the remedy is the son of God, who is also the son of God, and also the son of Adam, 
the son of red clay, Adam, and the Bible and the gospel records him both of those things over and over again. He is fully God and fully man, 100% plus 100%. That's who Jesus Christ is. That's not a contradiction. That's not a contradiction. It's not two things that can't be true at the same time and in the same relationship. But it is something that we cannot fully grasp. But it is true. There are no contradictions I've ever found in the Bible. I have found a lot of things that I can't fully grasp. But a contradiction is quite another matter. And Jesus Christ is not a contradiction. And his person, he's delivered to us. He said, I came to pay the penalty for the law-breaking, for your law-breaking, and that of your ancestors. Because we are extension of our ancestors. And we are to confess, by the way. The Bible says confess. Your own sins, your own law-breaking, that means acknowledge confess acknowledge just acknowledge doesn't mean to beg for forgiveness no god's already given you forgiveness all of your sins ephesians chapter one all of your law breaking all of the law breaking that comes down upon you all of the guilt of it included is taken away when i was a little boy relate a story i little boy every saturday we had a preacher show up his name was bill powell we were down there in the country at white oak church little church down uh there in the Wabash Valley, and we were in a in the Ambral Valley, which goes into the Wabash, but we were down there. And all the people around there, most of them, they identified with that little church, and that the Stratton family had donated the land because they struck oil on their place. So they had money, and they donated a little corner piece of land there they couldn't really till, but we had a parking lot there and a church. And a uh, preacher showed up. His name was Bill Powell. He's no longer with us. But uh, he was young then, and uh, he said, now on Saturdays, if you're seven years old or older, you come over to my house, which was not that far away. It was two miles from the church house. He said, and on Saturday afternoon, seven years old or older, up through about age 14, and we'll just get together on on Saturday at 2 o'clock. And we'd go over there, and we'd play ball. And he took a scythe and mowed down the horse weeds beside on the north, uh, south side of his house. And we had a little ball diamond there. And uh, if you hit the ball into the horse weeds, it was a homer. I remember that. And Mary Lou Alray. <laughs> Mary Lou Alray was the first one to fall into the horse weeds. <laughs> Mary, Lou, Mary Lou had one leg shorter than the other one, just a little bit. I don't remember what. Well, of course, she's still around. She was a couple years older than me and a shirt-tailed cousin. And we lived pretty close to each other. She knocked the ball into the horse weeds. But then after we'd played ball, and then in the winter time we'd go down on the branch on the ice and we'd scoot around and play and when we were inside we got an old building he had there we'd have a tug of war but he had a pot-bellied stove in there in that building in the winter time and we go over to Terre Haute and pick up coal and bring it back and burn he'd burn coal in his pot-bellied stove and it'd get hotter than a pistol and the stove pipe would get red it gets so hot when it's really cold and one time, he had us all sitting in there. We had some folding chairs or something, all us children. And uh, we'd been outside. We came in. We were warm up, and he had that stove fired up. There were probably a dozen of us there. And he passed out a little piece of paper off a little notepad to each one of us. I was seven years old, I remember. And he said, and I want to give us each a pencil. And he said, and I want each one of you to write down on that piece of paper the worst thing you've ever done. The worst thing you've ever done. Now, a kid seven years old, what can you say that's so bad that you've done? You know, you don't have the ability to do some really rotten things. And I wrote down on the piece of paper, 
I wish I could remember what I wrote down. I wrote something down, and if I could remember, I'd tell you it'd probably be amusing. But I wrote something down. He said, just one thing. You don't have to go into great detail. This isn't, he didn't think, probably he didn't say this. We wouldn't have understood. This wasn't a confessional. <laughs> where you get in front of a priest. He, he was trying to give us an object lesson, so I wrote down. Now he said, now take your piece of paper and wad it up in your hand in your fist. And he then he took that little that little tool that has that uh, wire on the end of it that you reach around and grab the stove lid, and he opened up the stove, and we were sitting there staring into all these hot coals. And he had that open, and then he said, okay, everybody stand up and get in a line here and file by and throw that piece of paper in the in the stove. And we did that. And then we filed around, we sat back down again. And then he said, that's what Jesus Christ does with your sin. He gets rid of it. It's gone. And along with it, all your guilt. And by the way, the word translated sin, which means law-breaking, in the Newer Testament, amartia, amartia, and the Older Testament word, which means to to miss when you're trying to shoot at the bullseye, to miss, uh, mean that you're really a, trying to be a bad person. Sin is just when you fall short. You may be trying as hard as you can to do what God wants you to do. It ain't going to happen in every case. Why? Because of your weakness. You got it from your grandpa, Adam, and that's what you are. And um, Daryl had made the point a while ago, he didn't say it this way, but he did mention our mortality, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, that means weakness. We're, we're, as William Blackstone says in his commentaries on the laws of England, the first volume, we are dependent creatures. Without question, no person can live on his own. We are utterly dependent upon God, and uh, we don't have anything that he didn't give us. But we're dependent on him. We're guilty, and the guilt comes with the with the law breaking. And that those words I mentioned a while ago include guilt, and are sometimes translated guilt because that is what's being stressed about those words. But as far as I remember the verses, I had to memorize. Didn't have to. If I wanted a new Bible, I had to memorize the verse. And the verse was that says that he had ca- he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then one of the prophets says he takes your sin. This is the analogy. He takes breaking in your guilt that weighs down on you, and he puts it between your shoulder blades, the one place you really can't reach. You can, I can scratch my back in quite a few places. You remember Dick Van Dyke, Roger? Of course. Dick Van Dyke. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Dick Van Dyke, he was a limber kind of a fellow, and he could do things with his body that were unusual, and he used to do tricks where he would, he could put his arms around his body. And when you're looking at him from behind, it looked like somebody was hugging him. Right. He could put them so far around. But I noticed, and I, you can, yeah, he could not reach the middle of his spine between his shoulder blades. And uh, that's why the prophet uses that analogy. Uh, your sin and your guilt is where you can't see it, you can't touch it. And it's cast as uh, into the depths, the deepest part of the ocean. It says the analogies are all there to say it has no power over you anymore. You are free, absolutely free. And who the Son, the Bible says, who the Son says is free, who the Son makes free, is free. And that ends the matter. 
there is freedom there. But the problem is, as we've said before, man, the Christian man and the Christian woman have trouble experiencing that freedom. They, they give in to things they shouldn't give in to, and that inhibits their ability to enjoy the freedom they've been given. And every epistle of the New Testament, in every one of them, you can trace a major theme through the epistle of the apostle saying, well, you, all your sins are forgiven, you're free. But the problem is you're not enjoying it. Paul, or John, Paul says that, of course, Ephesians 1, all your sins are forgiven. John says in the first chapter, just to start out, he says, uh, uh, you, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the words. For, he says, uh, you, uh, your sins are forgiven. Well, I'll paraphrase it. It's a difficult, it's somewhat difficult to grasp the way it's written, but it's saying you're not enjoying it. That's really what it boils down to. You have the forgiveness of sin, which is freedom. Freedom. Freedom is freedom. D-O-M, by the way. Free from doom. Dom is the old Anglo word for doom. Doom is the old Anglo, the Germanic word for irreversible judgment. We even say it yet today. You are doomed. That means it's too late. Ain't nothing I can do for you, brother. Well, that's what the word freedom uses that word doom. Free means free. Dom means irreversible judgment. And you're free from that irreversible judgment for eternity. That's what Christianity is. That's why it overtook, within just a few short decades, utterly overtook the Roman Empire and disintegrated it. See, people say, well, the Roman Empire was just disintegrated because of this or that. Well, listen, Babylon, Genesis chapter seven or 11, and Paul made the point a while ago, it was a good point. He said that uh, they were building this tower so that God could come, or so that they could get God to come down and acknowledge them. And I've heard other people say that, um, and I, I see, the, I see the, the sense of what they're saying. It was that arrogance. But God did come down to prove the point. He did come down. It says, by analogy, of course, he came down and looked at what they were doing. And he said, it tells us exactly what he said. He said, all of people are one. They have oneness. They are unity. And all of the speech is the same lip service, the same political correctness. Now apply this today. All of the people have oneness and they have the same political correctness. Mm -hmm. They're saying the same mantra. There is a virus. It is killing millions. I must wear a mask and get the jab and you must do like robotons. They're saying it. Yep. He came down and saw that. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, if I don't do something, this is the winterized version. I'm paraphrasing. If I don't do something, there is nothing that these people will not be able to do. Nothing. Now that's a that's a powerful statement about the power of unity. The power of unity. I am not part of their unity, and so I should not act like I'm part of their unity, nor speak. I, I shouldn't walk their walk and talk their talk. And if you are walking their walk, talking their talk, you have joined them and you are committing treason against Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't care about Jesus Christ, that's 
such, it shouldn't bother you. But if you do, and you do appreciate that he has taken upon himself bodily, spiritually, and soulishly all of your guilt and sin and has given his life in place of yours so you don't suffer eternal doom, to put it in the old word, well then, you want to be loyal to him. He has given you a new desire. You want to be loyal to him. You want to walk his walk and talk his talk. You want to repent. Not reform. No, you don't want to reform nothing. You want to replace your mind with the mind, as the Bible says, of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect man. Perfection. Nothing lacking in him. That's why it's important to end this little little, uh, little diatribe, hey, I suppose. Just end it to say, if, you're, if your head isn't in the Bible every day, you're going to be a loser. Back to you. Uh, yeah, somebody started Somebody, somebody was trying to say something right there. Yes. It's, it's Chuck. Oh, hey, Chuck. Hey, that's an amen, Brent. I got to say amen to everything you said there. Uh, I, I just got to, I'm over here. I can't talk long, so I just wanted to uh, touch base. Uh, we're up in, we're in uh, near Whitehall, Montana right now. So we'll be up in Idaho uh, in about, well, I don't know, sometime this afternoon. So. You guys going to be around? Yeah. And is anybody else going? Well, that's my plan. Just like you're, you're not there yet. But it's your plan, right? Yeah. Yes, right. and right. we can talk about the Septuagint. We can talk about the Septuagint. Yeah. Where uh, is there anybody else going? Any any other on this oh, call that's you mean like- that are. Uh, Raj is about the closest one that uh, proximity-wise of the folks. Raj, are you going over there this weekend? Well, he must not be available. Uh, don't know, Chuck. Don't know the answer to that question. Well, it'd be nice to have some other fellow, uh, um, no nationals around. So, yeah. um. Well, if, guy in Montana? if there's not, you can go out there and help create some. <laughs> I won't be there long enough to try to get that going. But <laughs> yeah, I would. I would definitely. Um, who's uh, like James Wesley Rawls? That would be a, a good guy to target, I would well, think. Hey, I would think so, he's too. Around yeah. That, yeah, he's around that area. So uh, who's the guy in Montana? Gary. It's Gary. Gary, are you going? I don't know nothing about this. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's a, a Bible conference in in uh, Bonners Ferry, Idaho, this weekend. It's an that, uh, Gary. It's a it's a pretty big annual affair, I guess. I mean, not big in numbers, but it's a big ongoing uh, uh, annual affair. And uh, Chuck and and uh, Brent have met there previously in previous ones, and they were supposed to have this guy Peter Peter Allen. Is that his name from South Africa? Hammond, and he couldn't make it because they were going to require a jab, and so Brent has taken his spot over there. But I don't know how far you are away from that or what your plans are this weekend, but I'm sorry that you didn't know about it, and we just hadn't talked about it too much here. But uh, I don't, how, are, are you too far away from there, Gary? About a two-hour drive. That's not too bad. So anyway, well, you yeah, may want to. over by Kalispell. 
Yeah, you may want to just give him a little information real quick, and then if, if you and uh, Brent or, or Brent or Chuck can hook up and find out more if you need to. Uh, Chuck, you got my email? No, I don't. Uh, it's gg46986 jb right. let, let me get something right with uh, <clears throat> well my pen is gone oh there yeah, okay let me let me get something to write on All right. It's GG. What was that? GG. GG Golf Golf 469986 Juliet Bravo at gmail.com. JB at gmail.com. Just send me what you got and I'll see if I can. I was going to work tomorrow, but uh, I may ch- it may change my mind. Okay. Yeah, because there's going to be quite a few people there, and uh, it's probably worth it. Your uh, worth your trip, your time. So it's uh, GG four six nine nine eight six G J B at gmail dot com. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks for tolerating right. this, uh, the audience. Appreciate. It. Um, Paul, are you still with Roger? Yeah, hold on, somebody. You got a female wanting to uh, say something? Yes. Roger, this is Nastasha. I can only oh. speak for a second. Hi, Nastasha. Hi. Good morning. I need to um, get your email address. Okay. I wasn't able to write it down yesterday. Okay, it's, it's very easy. All right, let, let me give it to you. Yep. Radio Ranch. That's pretty easy. Two separate words, but they're all one word in the address. Radio Ranch. Yep at mail m-a-i-l dot com let me repeat it again radio ranch no spaces at mail m-a-i-l dot com nastasha and i was uh i was looking for your email didn't see it so glad to know what the snafu was and uh shoot me one and i'll uh we'll get plugged in and connected okay okay sounds good thank you so much you're welcome okay so we got uh some of the administrative stuff out of the way right anybody else need anybody's email <laughs> no but i want to tell gary that um i'm going to that uh in bonus ferry oh tomorrow. cool good and i was thinking of uh driving out to kalispell just to see you well there you go so, well, you guys, I don't know how to tell you. I don't know how to tell you to identify each other. Do y'all? They have name tags and badges or stuff there when you register, or is there any of that going on? Don't know. Um, have to ask Brent. Well, if you if you're there when Brent's talking, Brent knows Chuck, and you, he can put all y'all together. Yeah, I I I don't know if there's any of that. I don't remember that being there before. I'm ball. I'm a uh, about five seven. Bald and uh, got a good hey, sized beard. Wear wear your beekeeper outfit. They'll be able to spot you real easy. <laughs> hey, if you'll uh, with me, just email me a phone number. I can give. I'll give I'll you a call. Be happy to. Especially Roger, okay. you're coming through Kalispell. Heck, I'll even leave. I'll even leave work early to see you, Roger. Shake your hand. That's mainly what I want to do with you. Good. All right. 
I got to get back to work, guys. Okay, good. I'll, uh, good. I'll email my phone number to you. Great. Hey, cool. Roger. Yeah, I'll give you a, a call at my lunch break. Okay. Yeah, Murr, you hey. going to? You want to go to Murr? <laughs> no, I have something else I want to get into. It's a little bit heavy, kind of. All right. Well, let, let's can we, we go make sure we get all the administrative stuff out of the way before we get to the heavy stuff. So, is there all the administrative stuff taken care yeah, of? Let me, Roger. Let me real quick tell you what I know, and then we'll get to Murr. But uh, it's at Bonner's Ferry, and it's at uh, Lordship Church is the name of the church, and it's I think that it's a brand new location. We're going to bring generators. He's got some generators. I know other people are bringing generators because they're not sure that they're going to have electricity in the building, but they're going to have the building up, and we're going to meet in there. We were meeting in the old John Deere dealership last time I went. It was a, That's where church was held, but it was a big open bay area with uh, chain balls and stuff, but it worked out real good. But now we're up on the we. I should, I'm going to be there. It's his where he pastors the church. Bonner's Ferry, Lordship Church, north side of town on US-95. US-95 is the road that runs from, I believe, clear down to Mexico. But anyway, it goes to, the, go to, clear, it goes to Las Vegas. I know that. And then it goes up through the center of Idaho to the Canadian border. And it's uh, Bonner's Ferry is up there getting close to the border just north of Sand Point. And it's on the, I believe, west side of, of US-95. And it starts in the morning. That's Saturday morning. That'd be tomorrow morning, I believe, at nine o'clock. Maybe you want to get there a little early. I don't suspect there are going to be hundreds of people there, but uh, it does draw an intense crowd that are interested. Now, John Weaver, Pastor John Weaver from Georgia, mm-hmm. is going to speak, and also a fellow named, I believe, his name is Tim Yarborough from Alabama or mm-hmm. Mississippi, and I forget which one. Mm-hmm. He's going to be there, and then. Warren Campbell, Warren Campbell, he's going to speak, and maybe one or two others. Yours truly is going to say a few words. And my, he gave me an assignment, and he said, Brent, I want you to talk about the weapons of our common law, the weapons of our common law. So I'm going to talk about stare decisis, trial by jury, and I'm going to say a little bit about when the feds tried to send me to, to perdition and um, with the grand jury indictment etc i'll talk about that probably and whatever else comes to mind and the weapons that were used in that who as a as a sword you know the common law is shield and sword but he wants me to talk about the i think the offensive weapon so that's in the morning bonner's ferry i don't believe it's on the internet anywhere because warren campbell doesn't use the internet he said since the communists have taken over our country i have uh, receded in that way, and we're getting together more just in person. I say, okay, well, that's what he's doing. But that's the, the more of the particulars that I know about it, Roger. And we'll get back to it's, her. Uh, it, to I want to ask. You, uh, I, I want to ask a question. And make a comment. Is Dave Barley on the uh, on the schedule? I think he's up in that part of the country, isn't he? You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know, Roger. 
I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I just, I'm just hearing things too. That's okay. how it's too uh, bad. I, I am. I know what I got to do. All right. Well, it's too bad that the audience isn't more attuned to what we do here because you could talk about weaponizing the common law by talking about how we weaponize it here after the playing field is level by utilizing the front end to due process with putting all these suck as sons of Belial on notice that your status has changed. If they come after you now, they're acting outside their delegated responsibilities and duties and become personally liable. And that definitely is weaponizing the common law. So, anyway, I just wanted to add that. Murr, what did you have that's heavy? Because we can uh, transition over into that. Yeah, movies. you got to purge yourself of them. Oh. Now, I was really thought, thought the Green Mile was a great movie and all that and how they basically twist the meaning of love and pull on your heartstrings. And you got to get rid of all that and not pay any attention. These are actors. These are liars. Tom Hanks is a satanic pedophile, and he was the star. Okay. Well, I you you know I watched that movie. Let me let me me finish what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Let me finish. Okay, that was just to preface what's really going on. Okay. In 2019, when all this satanic pedophilia was coming to the surface a little bit, Kevin Spacey put out three short, just a couple minutes things. And the last one, he was sitting in front of the fire, and he turns around. Well, he had fingered the queen and and one of them and whatever. But he turned around, and he said, we kill them with kindness. And uh, True Odd on his program on Revolution Radio said, this Jewish woman, and I'm going to call her Sharon Jacobs, the name was close to that, was in on these killings. And she would kill them with kindness after they had tortured these children she would put them out of their misery now after Truat relayed this around Christmas time 2019 his website had been up for a long time and he even paid for extra storage on WordPress uh, story behind the story they took it all down they just took it away and that had to be why he was on Angry Castle's show, and I asked him. I presented that question to him, and he said, "Yeah, he hadn't told anyone that, but that's what he thought too." So, this is what's really going on, people. So, don't give them any money. Don't give them your heartstrings. I it just came up in conversation. I think I saw it thirty something years ago, and I yeah, haven't. I, I'm I haven't. For excuses, I'm, and, I know. I'm not giving you excuses. I'm not giving you excuses. I'm just telling you, I I'm divorced myself from Hollywood decades ago okay and i'm sure a lot of our right, other right. people did and you're also. not the only one, you're not the only one i'm talking to i'm talking to everyone that right. wants to listen right this is important we have to get away from their media we are replacing their media right now right here and so now. it's absolutely correct so but you have to know how deep the evil is and that is how deep it is so that's as deep as i want to go all right <laughs> Thanks. I'll get off of here. Okay. Um, Anybody else got anything they want to add to that or embellish? No. Is that a yes or a no? Well, so Hello, Roger. Hello. Who we got? This is Mike from Birmingham. Hey, Mike. Hey, I uh, just want to let you know, I just left the post office. I sent my passport, my affidavit, and I put the Attorney General of Alabama, Internal Revenue Service, and the State Department on notice 
Okay, well, State Department first, the others after, but uh, good deal. We haven't, have we talked before? Or do you and I? No, well, I've, I've emailed you a okay. couple times. You and I exchanged emails just the other night, right? Yeah, yeah I uh, actually heard you a couple years ago on uh, Alfred Addis' show. Okay, yeah. Then you went, then you was on uh, the Intel National, uh, the Intel report with, uh, what's his name on Republic Radio? Stat Miller? Yeah, and yeah. I said, I know that voice. And uh, then uh, then I went to download the Pangola episode and listen to it too. Good. Well, we're glad to have yeah. you. I'm glad you found us and uh, you you yank on our chain and participate more. And you know they're having a little shooting match right up the road from you. They're in Gadsden on the 23rd. Do you know about that, Mike? Yes, that's where my mother lives. Oh, okay, great. Well, you'll be right yeah, at I mean, home. That's that's yeah, that's 50 miles north of me. Right. Right. Well, cool. Uh, I got a question. Okay. When good. I went up there, uh, I asked the lady, can I get a copy of uh, my passport application after I signed it? And she said, that's forbidden. Huh. That's okay. what she told me. Okay. Don't so, know why. So I, had, I gave them a, I had all my documentation, driver's license, copy, birth certificate. So I just sent the State Department uh, an original affidavit because I had two of them made, one for the passport, one for them. And uh, I just sent them a copy of the application without the signature. I don't know if that's going to do any good. So now, now, did you did you actually send the application through the process or not? I'm I'm a little confused here. Yes. No. I I filled out the application. I just got back from the post office. I asked her for a copy of the application and with she my said, signature, and, and she said no. And she said no. It's forbidden. I can't record it. I can't photocopy it. I can't take a picture of it. Huh. Isn't that unusual? That's what she told me. Okay. And I, I would said, say that's a lie. Right. I understand, but I didn't want to argue with the woman. No. So so I just sent all three things, uh, certified return receipt today, so maybe it'll get there. But I sent the State Department an original affidavit, not a copy. That's okay. You send it to the administrative file. Please file it. Exactly. Attention. Okay. Good. Attention. I I sent them the affidavit, the application, my copy of my driver's license, Mm -hmm. copy of my Social Security card, and a copy of my birth certificate. Okay. Well, it's my understanding that the minute it's put in the system, especially with the uh, application for passport, because you're dealing with an authorized agent, and you don't put it in the system, they do. Okay, and so the minute it's entered in the system, it's considered received if you want to reverse the way the IRS does things. And I believe that's probably considered true. Maybe Brent could give us some insight on that. But the minute it goes into their system, it should be considered received. Yes. I've known the IRS was theft since I used to listen to uh, Bill Cooper back in 1998. Oh, yeah. Right, right. And, right. I've, and when I've, I've known that it's all theft. So I want to get away from all this well, stuff. Well, Mike, we're real happy to have you, and I'm glad you reached out and joined us and know how to join us here on the show. And normally we discuss this stuff more on Monday through Thursday and then let Brent uh, get us into the spiritual stuff on Friday. But that's not necessarily a die-in-the-wool No, 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 please hear me out. It's not necessarily a die-in-the-wool rule because Brent likes to go, uh, go with the flow, too, as things open up and develop. So uh, we're glad to have you. Congratulations on your newfound freedom. And and uh, start learning it and talking about it to everybody you know. Yes, I've already uh, got two people at work, 
and I gave them all your information and all three of those programs. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, if you need any more, I've got a couple more. I'll shoot them to you. Okay. Okay. I'm going to mute now. All right. Thank you, Mike. Glad to meet you. Thanks. Nice to meet you. It's mucho gusto, as they say in Spanish, and uh, glad to have you on board. Thanks for communicating with us. And you'll get no to problem. meet a lot of nice people up there in Gadsden here in a few weeks, I promise you. Yeah, I, I, hey, I'm, I was thinking about moving back, but oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah who, have a good day. I'm going to go mute. Thank you, Mike. Who was trying to say something just then? That's Dave here in the thumb. How you Dave, doing? you can talk today. I can. <laughs> Um, I had an interesting conversation yesterday about, uh, rinse and, uh, um, Professor James Fetzer and the power hour. What do you guys, what do you, what do you guys think of Fetzer? I, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other myself. Okay. Well, I know him. I know him. Okay. Uh, I know him, Dave. So, I, I well, like I, him. I, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, go ahead, Daryl. Uh, yeah, uh, he he started out as a uh, a Wisconsin Madison, Wisconsin professor, libertarian liberal, and uh, has uh, incrementally, uh, I guess you would say, uh, changed his position over the last twenty years. So um, he, uh, we don't agree on everything, but uh, I, I believe him to be absolutely genuine and uh, sincere. Uh, I don't see any any aspect of a uh, controlled or false narrative in uh, what he's doing, and uh, <clears throat> so. Um, I've actually, you know, been on uh, conversations with him, and I just, just by a few, I didn't have quite enough time. I was going to stop in Madison and see him when I was up in uh, Wisconsin here last week. So, uh, I, I think he's very, very extremely credible, and uh, is a voice that should be heard. So that's my point of view. Well, I appreciate that, Daryl, and that's my sentiments exactly. I've spoken with them several times on different shows, and uh, I think he's spot on. And I was, you know, my my eyesight was much better than it is now when uh, on that infamous morning of Sandy Hook, and I was recovering uh, in my home in a wheelchair after a fall down my basement stairs, and my neighbor was there, and uh, we, you know, we watched that unfold, and I I could see, you know, the the HVAC tubes hanging from the ceiling. You know, I knew that place had not been used in quite some time. I could just, and I told my neighbor, he, he was new to this, you know, movement. And uh, I said, this is a false flag from the get-go. And uh, anyway, um, I understand. You guys know, you guys know Daniel Brigman? He took over the power hour from Joyce Riley. I've I've never heard well, him. I've heard his, I've heard his name. Okay, well he he's a new man of foods, and Joyce, that was the only prepared prepared food company that uh, she endorsed, and he used um, Mike Adams to test all of his food for glyphosate, so it was all organic and non-GMO and all that. Anyway, Daniel took over that show for a while, and uh, he's now gone, but. Uh, 
he was kicked off the rinse network because of because he had uh, James Fetzer fill in for him, and Rince sent him an email after the Fetzer show that day, and uh, and and kicked him off the network. Said you're done. We're not. You know I don't care for Fetzer, and uh, he'd been on that show. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I heard him. That's mostly where I heard him, and uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, watch out for Rince. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought that was a, an interesting turn of events. Um, well, well, Dave, um, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I try not to jump to conclusions about almost anything anymore because we live in a, a low trust, hostile environment and, uh, and everybody, uh, you know, we, we don't know all the particulars and peculiars about who's had back channel conversations and who have personal issues with each other and what their motivations are. Uh, so, uh, regrettably, uh, you know, the rents network has provided, uh, you know, fantastic information for years. And, um, I, you know, it's just, uh, I, 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 I hate to see I hate to see more and more people you know this this uh, infighting and uh, people. We all have a common enemy, and uh, this is part of our problem uh, as individuals. How do you organize individuals, right? And uh, that's part of the problem. Yep. And of course, I I believe the I believe that, uh, uh, and I, I will I want to hear what Paul and Paul and uh, Brent had to say, but I, I believe that the only only way that we as individuals can organize is on the principles and the foundations of, of the laws and uh, the principles in Scripture. And that, that's just my that's you know that's, that's what, just my belief. That's what so. makes this message so strong, Daryl. Is it's a way we can organize and we can all still go do our own thing, but we got a common denominator connection that's real basic and real important. Okay, Paul had to jet. He had something un, uh, uh, come up that he had to deal with, and he wrote me and said he apologized, asked me to tell y'all uh, that he had to leave and to apologize to you but he enjoyed being with us and it was really nice to hear his voice and get his input because we hadn't had much interaction with him in a little while you guys don't know how how what what kind of guy that guy is if you hadn't been around for a while and it's his year he spent a year and a half researching all this software and reading all the manuals and learning how to put it all together so we can do this on a shoestring and we don't have to burden you with commercials and interrupt the flow of these important concepts and ideas to where we can grasp them. And if you want to know the differential in that, you go listen to some of those other shows where they do have commercial breaks and you get to some critical point and five minutes later, you got to come back and you've totally lost the audience and the point. So this is real important. It was structured and designed perfectly for what we do here with complex material and people that are just trying to learn and understand. So thank you, Paul English. Without that, we'd be stuck somewhere else, and we probably would not have the advantages we have here. So I'm very grateful and indebted to Paul and just consider him such a treasure. 
for us really great guy glad he's, he was able to join us today and glad some of you who didn't know who he was or hadn't had a chance to meet him had that opportunity today maybe we can get him back more so what else has somebody got to add here any questions or comments i mean i know it's brent's day brent you uh did you come today with anything planned you wanted to talk about necessarily or are you just on the fly What are you, Roger? I'm always on the fly. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm that way too. You know, man. <laughs> I mean, by the seat of my pants. Yep. Yeah, I know you are. And, uh, oh, there's plenty of things to talk about, but no, we're glad to have Paul on. And I wish that I wanted to ask more questions of Paul. Like, uh, folk over there, are they like, are folk over there like you? Do you get together? Uh, what's happening there that's uh, noteworthy? And uh, sound like pretty much over there on the other side of the pond, things are happening like they're happening here. The yeah. same madness, the yeah. same lip service. You know, Jesus Christ said, your lips, or your lips, uh, to paraphrase, your lips are with me, but your heart desire is far from me. Your, your speech is with me, but your heart desire is far from me. Let's talk about, for instance, we got a little time left. Let's talk about famous words of jesus christ he said this remember lot's wife <laughs> remember lot's wife that's all he had to say because they all knew that narrative that record from the book of genesis back there around chapter 20 someplace you can go read it it's all about lot and his when he lived in the city called sodom infamous and ever since then sodomy named after that city has been the name for that crime until well until just a few years ago that crime that is uh, infamous among mankind called sodomy and these sodomites that were there the sodomite is a man who is a particular kind of a dangerous creature he does ugly things other men he is abominable says the bible that means loathsome you don't want to get close to him any closer to him and you'd want to get to a blood-sucking bat well that's what the bible says i'm just reporting what it says and uh, i'm not adding much to it but in that narrative about he said remember lot's wife well that freighted into the brains of these these uh, Judiacs, these Pharisees, it freighted into their brains everything that God said about sodomy. I don't think that didn't bother them too, because sodomy is part of Babylonian Judaism. It's it's part of it in the sense that it says it's okay under certain circumstances. If a little girl, well, that's not sodomy, but uh, the sexual perversion, if a little girl is under three years old, it's okay, they say, the the, the tradition of the elders says, the, the, um, the, the Talmud and the Mishnah, all false religion. What's false religion? Any religion, any response back to God, that's what religion is, whoever you think is God, any response back that adds to or takes away from the word of God is false. Here's the definition. Any approach so-called approach to the maker of all things or any other god any other lawgiver any other supposed final 
decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. Any of those, any of those that uh, are they are false that they add to or take away from the Bible. The Mormons add the Book of Mormon and a couple other books, and of course the prophecies of the president, the present day prophet of the church. Rome adds all the traditions of centuries, plus the writing of the fathers, which are the traditions handed down, adds all that. Oh, no, no, we believe the Bible, they say, but then they add all the other stuff. The Jehovah Witnesses add the writings of the Watchtower. The Seventh-day Adventists say, no, no, Ellen G. White, what she wrote down is of the same legal dignity of the Bible. And then you got all the charismatic Christians and listen to their prophets every day, adding to the word of God. Or God spoke to me, you can hear him say. I've heard him say, no, God didn't speak to you. He may have illuminated something to you by the power of his spirit, but he didn't speak any new words to you. Nope, nope, nope. Well, how do I know? Because the Bible says so. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The book of Revelation says, Woe unto men, woe unto men. That means irreversible doom. We talked about that a while ago. Anybody who would add to this book. Well, what book? Well, that, that book called Revelation. Well, then that's just talking about the Revelation. No, he took that out of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And to add to the book of Revelation is to add to what? The whole Bible. And to take away from the book of Revelation is to take away from what? The whole Bible. And one more point. If you add to, you take away. Why? Because you are trying to water it down with what you want to say or what you think somebody else has said. There is no adding to or taking away. How do you tell false religion? Because they're the ones that always want to. They're adding to, taking away from what the Bible says. But I notice just often, they'll call themselves Christian and they'll say, we're not taking away, we're adding to. But let me say again. When you add to, you water down, you take away. Isn't it funny that when people add to the Bible, like the, the Babylonian Judiacs, they added the tradition of the elders today called the Talmud and the Mishnah. They added that too. So what becomes what becomes the fixation of all of their attention? The Talmud and the Mishnah. The Bible then recedes from consideration. Mm-hmm. If you have a present-day prophet, do, do charismatic people go and read their Bible? Bibles every day more intensely? No, no. They just get on the internet and find out what the present day prophet is saying. That's see when you add to inevitably it the Bible will recede from consideration. The Bible recedes from consideration. That's why he says don't add to and don't take away from. And you can identify false religion or a or a person who's following falsely a true religion. And maybe trying to follow the Bible, and trying to follow... There's a, a fellow out there called Rabbi Khan. Oh, and he yeah. he got this whole messianic, uh, messianic Jewish Christian. Get away from that stuff. Listen, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you dump the trash. You dump it. I had a friend, still have a friend. He's seven-eighths Pacific Islander and one-eighth, one-eighth American Red Man. Because he's one-eighth American red man, <laughs> he, he has a property, trust Indian property, Indian property in California. 
and he has a lot of land up there for a 99 and you can lease it for 99 years it's that kind of a deal but he's christian man he's and he has a brother who has is christian man but he relapses into drugs and drinking drugs and drinking and then he comes out and then he gets his life square and his brother's trying to help and he told me every time he he lapses into drugs and drinking he wants his medicine pouch and all of his so-called american indian artifacts and he goes into all that baloney which by the way most of it is a modern invention most of it i mean the the Indians out in uh, California didn't smoke that much tobacco, and they didn't have tobacco pouches that much. But anyway, it's become a culture that's overwhelmed him. And um, he relapses into it. He said, he said he told his brother, listen, when I became a Christian man, when I was born from above, I got rid of all that trash. I don't follow that pagan point of view anymore. And Paul the Apostle said the same thing. When, I, when, when Jesus Christ revealed himself to me, opened my eyes and I saw who he really was, then I got away from all that Babylonian BS, that Babylonian Judaism and all the trappings of it. When you see people want to hang on to Babylonian Judaism and call themselves Messianic Christians like Rabbi Khan, run as fast as you can. Don't even stop and take your coat. Just get the devil out of there. Oh, he's now on the internet. Oh, I believe the Bible. He's speaking in conservative terms and looks very conservative, and, and he says the right things. Your lips are with me, or your your yeah, your lips are with me, but your heart is far from me. See, that's the flip side of political correct speech. You say one thing, but you you want to do quite another. Why is that? Because you haven't been born from above. Because if you've been born from above, God gives you a new heart desire. And you don't want what you used to want. You increasingly want something different. See, God doesn't reform men. He doesn't make them better men. How can you make something better out of some filthy, rotten, putrid trash? You can't. It's not only that. God does not reform men. No, he raises them from the dead and he gives them a new birth, a new life. You are, as Paul the Apostle says, a holy new creature. You have a new desire, a new, you're looking at the world through a different set of lenses. Everything has changed. And you don't want that trash anymore. So if you see people talking the conservative talk, talking biblically, act like they're Bible scholars, they know all the Greek and Hebrew, and they can tell you what all it means. But yet, they're adding daily prophecies to the Bible. Well, their lips are with Jesus Christ, but their desire is far from him. What do they want instead? They want popularity and money. Somebody accused me, Roger, get this. I think I mentioned that somebody accused me not long ago and saying, Well, you won't you won't do everything Roger says because it would it would take away your audience and your popularity. Well, I got news for you. I, them, I don't have any popularity that I know about. I don't get any money I don't get any more money than Roger does for doing this. And uh, by the way, to just add to that I do agree with Roger, and I've said it over and over again. Roger, I've said it to you, too, and you know. I agree with your point of view about that. I just disagree with uh, some of the words sometimes that are used to describe what right. you're doing. Right. And uh, But I don't disagree with what you're doing. And, yeah, and, 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 we, we've, we've wrestled with that, Roger and I. Well, and i gotta, I got to add, Go ahead, I never Roger. tell anybody Go to do this. 
all I'm here for, and I've made this point exceedingly clear because I put a bunch of thought into this when I started this years ago, okay? It's not my place to tell you what to do here. This is your decision. It's got to be voluntary. The whole thing hinges on that word right there, voluntary, and you deciding what political system and principles you want to live under is your choice because you're the one that's got to deal with the consequences, and I don't want that responsibility and it's not my duty. My duty is to tell you you got a choice that you more than likely didn't know you have. And at that point, I'll help you. If you want to move forward, I'll be right there to hug you, grab your hand, and do everything I can to get you successfully through it. But it's not my point to tell you to do it, and I've never told anybody to do it. Not one person. That's good, Roger. And I'm glad you brought that up, too. And from my perspective, um, to say also, if you follow Jesus Christ, I'll tell you up front, as Roger kind of did, I'll tell you up front, you're looking for trouble, and you're going to get it. But even if you have the trouble, it's better to have the trouble and the enjoyment, the enjoyment to live in the Christian life than it is to be facing eternity in hell and the destruction that will come in this life. When I see the despair of people, the despair of people in this life, because they Christian folk, because they deny the will of God, the law of God, and they also uh, other folk that just just deny Jesus Christ. I want to tell them, though, there's something better. It may not look really good on the surface to you to begin with, but it's a whole lot better. And in eternity, it is incomparably better. But right, right here in this life, right here is that me, Susan? I don't know who. Oh, right here in this life. We are, yeah, I don't know what that is. Right here in this life, we can have enjoyment that you cannot experience otherwise, and I've given you a firsthand testimony of it. I have no idea what that is, Roger, but back to you. I don't either. (laughs) But then again, there's there's stuff happening uh, around here that I just don't, you just got to kind of roll on. Daryl, do you know where that danger's coming from? I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a part of the built-in program. They're putting a limit on each speaker. That's your that's your notice. Uh, <laughs> well, we went through this. Really the reason that. Paul was with us today was he and I got together and got rid of a bunch of those sounds that have been uh, in the background of y'all messaging and people posting stuff in the chats and all that. Well, that, those are all gone, but this ding is new, so I don't have an answer. <laughs> Well, uh, Brent, uh, just just to comment on on your comments, uh, you know what I what I uh, noticed in myself, particularly when I was younger, and not so much now. But uh, what I noticed in other people is they're like their nature is that like of a crow, and that they're uh, they're always looking for that new shiny thing, <laughs> or uh, the 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 magic bean uh there there's a new magic bean or a new shiny thing that they can fiddle with and uh of course this is the this is what uh you know it's part of the business plan of the uh, prophecy for profit uh paradigm and uh so they they have to they have to i'm using this word in particular you'll i hope you'll catch the the irony of it They'll gin, gin up a a new prophecy to for 
to keep their crows attracted. Uh, and uh, this is this is what I see. I just observed this. This is just observation. I uh, what say you? I think it's well, I, I, I agree with you. I remember one time, one time, many, many years ago, many decades ago now, let's see, 1983 or long in there somewhere, I was in a class with a fellow who sat behind me. And uh, it was a class that I didn't want to take, but I took it because they said, well, you got to take this class. And the fellow that taught the class, he was Jesuit trained at a doctor's degree from Loyola. And he claimed, of course, that he wasn't a Jesuit. I think he, well, even if he wasn't, he certainly was affected by them, and he promoted things I didn't like. We, I didn't like, so I didn't listen that much. Didn't really care. Get through the thing, and and uh, this fellow behind me got talking to him. Well, he had been working for a few years as a young man at a place called Melody Land. Melody Land. Now. The name of that place puts me to mind of little goats and and deer and fawn and, and woodland creatures dancing around to music or something. I don't know what they intended by that, but the place, the founder of the place was a famous, still a famous man. I believe he's still alive. It, his name is uh, so famous I can't remember his name, but, <laughs> the st- <laughs> but Pat Boone starred in a movie. Pat Boone starred in a movie that was the story of his life way back in the 1950s. Oh, The Cross and the Switchblade. That was the name of the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, I remember The Cross that. and the Switchblade by Dave Wolf. That was it. Dave, and he's the one who found the place, and it was kind of supposed to be a Bible college and a seminary, but it was a, it was a, it was a magnet for buffoonery. And I remember, I had never used that word buffoonery much, but this is the fellow that introduced it to me, and I got to talking to him about what went on out there because they had mass healings of people and and uh, prophecies and all that you know and um, i said well is that stuff real out there what do you think about it he said it's utter buffoonery utter buffoonery he said i worked there for a few years and he said the justification for everything they did out there was this is all buffoonery it's all not real we're not healing anybody but the people that come here not only do they want it they need it, and we're, we're serving them by providing this to them, providing the stage show, provi- providing the buffoonery. And he said, we had every kind of device you could imagine to make it look real. We had it all orchestrated. Stop. My job when I first got there was to stand behind people up on the stage when they come on the stage to be slain in the spirit. That's where you fall down backwards. My job was to catch them so they wouldn't bust their heads and get injured. Because people would get into it so much, they would actually think they were being slain in the spirit, or they would just go down hoping, act act like you're being slain in the spirit, and then you will be slain in the spirit. And they'll even tell you, when you go to talk in tongues, act like you're talking. I've had people say this to me, look, I think you need to talk in tongues. I Really? Why do you think I need to do that? Well, we think you're... You're forfeiting a great blessing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I get what you're saying, but no, I don't need to do that. If God wants to do it to me, I'm sure he will. Well, he said, no, it, it doesn't work that way, they say. You, you've got to start talking. If you will start talking in an unintelligible tongue, just start talking gibberish, God will mold that into the, your prayer language. Now, I, I have friends that are sincere and tell me they do that. 
still yet today. Uh, one one Harvard educated lawyer that uh, got to know he's still around. What? Uh, and I, I'm not. I'm acquainted with him. I don't know him, but he confessed to me. He said I talk in tongues, and I didn't say to him, "You are a buffoon." I didn't say that. A very intelligent man, you know, a very successful lawyer, and helped a lot of people uh, get things that I thought should have been done done in the courts. Herb Titus. Herb Titus talks in tongues. And I like Herb. But uh, I I don't understand. I, well, I do understand how people can come to believe something that's not true. I don't believe it. I, I believe they think it's true. I believe they're sincere often. But this fellow at Melody Land told me we all knew it was buffoonery. Now, that's what you get when you add to the Word of God. What do you get? You will increasingly, increasingly be sucked in to buffoonery because God said, my canon is closed. My canon is closed. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, and other places he says the same thing. And by the way, miracles, I think I've said this, Roger, before, miracles, what we call miracles, suspension of the normal courses of the laws of nature, right. miracles only occurred in, in the history of mankind, according to God's official record, for three periods of 40 years. Three periods in the history of mankind, each period about 40 years. Total, 120 years. For about 40 years during the time of the writing of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, during the days of Moses, about 40 years. About 40 years during the lifetimes of the prophets Ezekiel and Elijah. And about 40 years during the writing of the Newer Testament. Now, in each of those cases, God saw fit to suspend the laws of nature. This is significant. During the times that God was recording the written revelation he wants us to have, the canon. Canon is an old Greek word that means measuring stick. Measuring, yardstick. This is the limit. This is how long it is. But during the times, and the reason, the reason that miracles occurred during those days was because God was authenticating what he was making sure would be recorded. That is why miracles come. Not not for us to be wowed by. Does God heal? Yeah, he heals. Can he do miracles right now, today? If he wants. But I know that the Bible says he's not talking, and miracles are used to substantiate what he says. John Locke put it this way. This, this concept that I'm saying, I'm in good company saying it. Men much more learned and intelligent than me, Bob by far and away, have said it, the Englishman, John Locke, upon who, well, John, Tom Jefferson said Tom Locke was one of the three greatest mortals ever lived, right. had a picture of him right in his house there at, uh, uh, with two other fellows, but John Locke was one of them. And our Declaration of 76, the phrases and ideas drawn from, from John Locke. John Locke, though, was a student of the greatest Puritan that ever, ever lived, named John Owen. And John Locke was a fan of the Scottish Enlightenment. That's where that phrase comes, the laws of nature, unwritten, the nature of things. And the laws of nature is God, written in the Bible. That's John Locke. John Locke said this, I'm going to quote. He said, the miracles of Jesus Christ, the miracles of Jesus Christ substantiated his statements as true. 
those miracles that Jesus Christ did, a blaze of miracles throughout the gospel records, more than are recorded there, it says, by far and away more. Everywhere he went, that's what he did. The doctrine of the proposer, and I believe that's the words he used in that last part of that quote, the doctrine of the proposer of truth. Who's that? Jesus Christ. That's what miracles, that's how God uses them in every case. And to say that God just, listen, if what the healers are saying and what the tongue talkers are saying and what the prophets, these so-called prophets, if they're true, then the hospitals would be empty. But they are not. There would be no COVID. If they had the ability, as one fellow down there in Texas says, I can control the weather. I just asked God, take away this tornado. Well, then why was there a tsunami? Why didn't he say something? Why didn't he stop it all? Why didn't he save lives? Why doesn't he save lives now? Why? Because he is a liar. And uh, he's from the pit of hell, lying to people and pulling them away from what? The one thing that lasts forever along with us. The word of God, the flower fades, the grass withers, said Isaiah, but the word of our Lord stands forever and ever and ever. It will never change. When Romans and Hebrews... 13 he says he will never change what does that what does that mean that means his word never changes his will never changes the law the will of the sovereign the law never changes and what he says it it, it will do it will do and what he says where what he says it won't do it won't do and that ends the matter and it is the great and the greatest confidence among mankind among Christian men and women that they know that there's a limit to what will happen because God said so. That ends it. We can know. All we got to do is go look. But the second part of go and look is you got to be able to accept what it says. And if you can't accept what it says, you're going to try to devise it, devise other things to be said, pile on top of it to explain it, to explain away what you don't like about it. See? Mary Baker Eddy, Patterson, Glover, and Fry. I think she was married to Mary Eddie Patterson Glover. She was married at least four times. Founder of, uh, what was it that woman founded? Yeah, Christian Science. Yeah, Christian Science, Jehovah Witnesses, mm-hmm. Mormons, and Seventh-day Adventists. And all four of those movements began in the same place at the same time and arose out of the same man's words. Uh, they're all the same. They add, and they add to the Bible. Stay away from them. Run like mad from them. Don't get close to them. As good as they may look on the outside and as beautiful as it all may sound, find another pretty thing. Like Daryl said, another shiny thing to play with. Right. Oh, we got another gym today from the prophet Khan or something. Right. No. Stay away from it. Well, Roger, back Brent, to you. Well, no, it back to you, Brent, because we're right at the tail end of the show and we got enough of a cushion here for you to go oh, in yeah. to tell folks about all the things you're involved with and how to get more of you and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to let you close out with that. Roger, can I add to that quick? Real quick, Leon. Well, I'd like for him yes. to explain his books a little bit better. I'm trying to be a student in Aramaic and stuff, but I would like to know more about what I can gain if I get his set of books. Well, did you hear uh, that? Yeah, I think you did. We, my books, yes, in my books, I try to stress the laws of nature and the laws of nature. nature's God. I try to do 
what John Wycliffe tried to do in England in his day back in the 1300s. Things haven't changed. His country was in flux. It was unstable. He said, there's only way, the only way that I'm going to have my country back is to, to reestablish two things. Number one, the laws of nature. We call that today our common law. The law of the land, our constitution calls it, lifting that phrase from Magna Carta, because that was the phrase for our common law back then. Lifting that phrase, the law of the land. John Wycliffe said we must establish our common law to be taught in Oxford. We must teach the fundamentals of our common law. Number two, by the way, Geoffrey Chaucer. Geoffrey Chaucer, author of the Canterbury Tales, was a was a, a lawyer. He was a common lawyer in England, a barrister. And he was a contemporary of John Locke. And there's every evidence that they knew each other. They knew each other. Matter of fact, they believed one was the, the brother-in-law of the other. But uh, that's the laws of nature. Then Locke said that gets it in our courts. We, and then secondly, the laws of nature's God. The laws of nature's God. That's the Bible. William Blackstone tells us in his commentaries on the laws of England, 1765, that the laws of nature, that phrase, is from the Scottish Enlightenment. It means our common law. The way things are in nature around us, we can't change them. We observe them. We don't. There's not the written laws, the lex non scripta. And then the 